Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 42nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. Back in the day, you probably remember walking through the halls of your local Barnes and Noble and coming across these books entitled The Idiot's Guide to Carpentry or The Dummy's Guide to Investing, which were meant to serve as an introduction to topics that typically required classes or years of schooling. As technology has now progressed, these books have long since gone out of vogue and have been replaced by countless hours of streaming videos and tutorial packages designed to walk a novice to an intermediary or even expert level of understanding or performance. Yet, with all of these one-stop shop tutorials and materials, a question emerges. How many of us are actually capable of getting through one of these books or online tutorials. Those of us old enough to remember the stack of do-it-yourself books may recall that they never got through the very first page. Is this merely a question of motivation or are some of us just not capable of learning without the gentle hand of an instructor? I am joined with Michael, an audiodidact or person that learns on their own. Michael, were you one of those kids that got through the dummy's guide to acting? No, I wasn't one of those kids that got through the dummy's guide to acting. But uh, as far as my story goes, as a filmmaker, poet, philosopher, um, many things, I had to overcome my fear and my ego by signing up for an acting class, um, something I was always interested in from when I was young. And I didn't really quite know it, but I just loved movies and cinema so much. It was so important to me and so impactful. But I procrastinated most of my life in and out of school, being kicked out, being the class clown. I like to be the center of attention. So I like to perform somewhat in school and, and make laughs. So there was some sense of performing there, whether I knew it or not. But uh, as far as I, I got caught in the just the working lifestyle, the hustle and need to make money for society, the, the imprisoned society that we live in, the, the need to survive essentially. And it became comfortable as well as distractive, non-productive relationships, uh, unhealthy, abusive relationships, toxic partners and stuff to, to continue the stifling of, of, of myself and, and cultivating my passion and what I wanted to do until about 25 years of age, 24 years of age, I experienced, I guess you could say a quarter life, midlife crisis. And <laughs> I just went into a very dark, a dark hole. I would wake up shaking with anxiety uh, for the first time in my life. I never experienced anxiety at all or anything like that. Just the regular existential depression that we all frequently go through when we lose someone or just the mysteriousness of life or to, to not fulfilling our, our purpose or duties or what we were, were interested in. You know, whether we know it or not, whether we distract ourselves with drugs, alcohol and immediate gratification of television, non-productive uses of the Internet, which I use heavily for being an autodidact and, and self-education. And hmm. you can find bias, unbiased knowledge and determine your own logical, rational explanations about it, which is beautiful. And books in itself. The library is a free place. It's the one form of free education, the public library. But uh, I mean, aside from that, once I started I signed up for meditation because <laughs> mindfulness meditation, because I couldn't, I, I couldn't even cope. I, I just wanted, I wanted to overcome whatever I was going through. 
and I knew I needed to take, to take productive action in order to do so. And the one thing that always stuck in my head was, was acting. So out of that fear, I finally signed up and I remember driving to my acting class the first, first evening and my heart was beating out of my chest. I was very nervous. I was incredibly nervous, but I knew it was something that I, I had to do because it was something that I was interested in. And mindfulness meditation helped me non this action list derived action towards what I wanted to do. Uh, it was just innate within me. Let me ask you a few questions. So uh, let's go all the way back to high school when you were the class clown, right? <laughs> and, and me and you probably would have been at odds, me having a teaching background and you being the class clown. I, I'm wondering if you, when you were that young, maybe you were 15, 16, 17, if you had any visions in your head of becoming a comedian or becoming an actor and you were sort of trying to teach out your set, like imagine you're a class clown and you're working on your set. Like, did you envision yourself at that age of like, I'm going to make this really inappropriate joke in class. And that's me kind of trying on to see if I would make a good actor or a comedian. Um, that's a good question, actually. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would test material just to see what would be funny and what would not. But it's more so rebelling against the authority as well. Okay. Uh, not so not just making people laugh, which I loved. I love making people laugh and just evoking a smile. But it was very much like I, I went to public school. It was it's supposed to be a good school for this area, but. Um, yeah, there, it's it's a good school, so to speak. But anyway, there, there's this one. I, I wore a hat all the time. My thing was wearing a hat. And for some reason, in this public school where there was no uniforms or anything needed, you weren't allowed to wear a hat inside because uh, as the print, one of the vice principals said that his, his great grandmother said it was disrespectful. So, again, going back to olden sort of not just superstitions, but conditioning, it's a form of conditioning. It's just weird. So like I used to get suspended for wearing my hat and the teachers would actually come up and take the hat off your head, which is now today that would is a form of abuse, so to speak. You can probably sue the system for that, which is weird. But um, yeah, I, I like to rebel against authority. But yeah, I guess you could say I would test material. I, I wouldn't really care if if it if it laughs. It's not like I was writing it down to like be like, oh, this joke worked, you know? When you were going to this quote unquote, like good public school, right? Did you mm. rebel against things that did not like make logical sense to you? Like it seemed because it seems like you like to learn, but when there was like a, a system that had rules that were not really like directly related to what you were learning, you found that to be kind of a problem. Yeah, I didn't like being told what to do and not explain why. Like it's like as I, I write educate don't enforce you mm. know and and compulsory schooling is all about enforcing obedience subordination they say kids are supposed to ask questions but that's not the case in public school or any any form of education really for the most part it's you say if if they do say oh yes be inquisitive ask questions be curious about life and then people ask too many questions and I get people, some people just want to hear themselves talk. They have nothing to say and they just ask things that make no sense. But there are people that have valid points and valid questions. And then when there's no answers to these questions, whether it be a student or or anyone that's speaking to uh, the, the authoritarian teacher, whomever it may be, the principal, vice principal, counselor, and they don't have an answer, then they don't really have an answer. And they won't admit that they don't have an answer. They'll just 
they'll just make something out. They'll just give you a piece of paperwork and say, oh, maybe you should try these classes. I don't know. It's hard to really uh, explain, but yeah, no, sometimes I just, I don't like uh, being told what to do and not being explained as to why. It's a dictatorship in a sense. It's communist principles. Like kill that guy. Why? Do it or I'll kill you. What you're saying is is, is very interesting. So I, I worked as a history teacher for many years and I would categorize myself as being, I loved what if questions. I loved why questions. I loved what if questions. And I, I loved those kind of students that were just trying to stump me. And there were times that kids asked me questions and I was like, I actually don't know. Let me look that up. I'll get back to you or give me some time. I'll think back. Like I never... You know, it's kind of like the, the, my teaching philosophy is like the same philosophy that I have in this podcast where it's like, I admit I do not have all the answers and I love people that are coming at me with razor sharp points and, and I really want to expand upon that curiosity. Uh, Michael, did you have any teachers like that? Like even just one where it's like, okay, this person's like really, really, really challenging me. Yeah, I have to wear my stupid hat in this classroom because like that's the school rules. But do you think that there were any moments in that where um, this person is getting me to critically think? Not particularly, just how to get out of class and go to the bathroom. Uh, for the third time in a row or something for my irritable bowel syndrome or, or a baby bladder. But not, I mean, I had cool teachers that I, I liked, like, and they liked me. A lot of the teachers very much enjoyed me a lot. It was mostly like the whole hallway teachers that weren't overly fond through passing time. Mm. But I mean, my teachers, I got along with them very well. I mean, not, not so much the higher powers, like the principals and stuff. I, I was in frequent uh, battles with them, so to speak. But um, I mean, yeah, I was a rebellious kid with a chip on my shoulder as well. It's just like I wasn't stimulated in the sense that there was nothing creative about my school. Mm. You know, I'm sure if there was t TV and film acting as electives or something like that, a TV, film, creative writing, uh, scene, scene study, improv, skewed, not, I'm not talking about dramatic arts or theater or anything like that, because it's very that's in a whole different world. And it's very copycatish and very uh, it's another form of of jock popularity in the in the theater world and it's all non-original concepts which is nauseating to me but if there's actually like tv and film some sort of creative writing and all those things and i might have taken i most probably most definitely would have taken it uh, opposed to ceramics art uh, wood shop because do you think there was nothing creative about the school whatsoever put it that way and most schools are like that which is really upsetting to me Absolutely. I think a lot of uh, budgets have been completely gutted, especially for like arts and theater and music. And I think I agree with you, man. That is a complete travesty that that, that has happened. I'm wondering if you subscribe at all to the idea of learning something like incidentally. So I want you to imagine now, right, that, you know, you're taking this film class or you're taking some some creative writing class and then you have like a history class, right? And in this history class, you're learning like about the Watergate uh, trial or you're learning about Nixon or something, right? And you're like, man, I don't really see the purpose in this. I don't care about Richard Nixon. I don't care about Watergate. It's just not relevant to what I wanna do. Do you perhaps see that maybe learning about the Watergate trial when you're in 11th grade 
might just randomly like help you like 10 years later write like a script that happens to do with presidents or like um, or, or something or some random thing that you learned in science even though at that time as a teenager you may not see the underlying value in what you're being taught some of these little dots might connect later on in life no not at all there's things that i'm learning now and people that i'm learning about in books that i'm reading now that i would have never even bothered to pick up when I was that age, in my opinion, and I feel logically and rationally thinking through self-discovery, which is the most important sense of knowledge and finding what makes us tick and cultivating a, a meaning, a purpose, could be multiple purposes and meanings, but choosing some level of, of mastery, of ever evolving mastery, a task that you find challenging, that in, intrigues you and, and choosing that. And, and through that self-development is innate and just natural. But I feel that's beyond essential. But it's kind of interesting you mentioned, because I, I think me and you may differ on perspectives here, because I, I remember when I was in college, like I read all of these like random, 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 random books that I thought, man, this is never going to help me. Or, or a lot of psychology books or, or just things that weren't necessarily things that were applicable to my life in that moment. But then lo and behold, like 9, 10, 11 years later, I'm having conversations about these things with other people. And a lot of people will categorize themselves as like walking vessels of useless knowledge. And yes, I, I do believe that at a certain age, we, we have the right to, to be connoisseurs of what, what it is that we're learning and what it is that we're perfecting. But I do think that some generalized sense of knowledge is never it's not something that's going to hurt you right like like it can't it can't possibly hurt you no knowledge won't hurt you but if your time's wasted learning shit you don't care about it's kind of just wasteful to to life itself you know when you're being made to learn something you have no desire to learn and yeah everyone needs a push and, and sort, some sort of positive influence whether it be a good teacher or just a, a good sort of educational outlet that they they like to learn from or a task that they like to do you know like let's say there's one of the greatest musicians ever playing in school and they take their guitar to school all the time but they get in trouble for taking their guitar to school and they just want to play it all the time and class is irrelevant to them because that's not their purpose you know that's not their thing you know it's funny like thinking of musicians so if we like think of someone like bob dylan for example he was able to kind of like fuse a lot of history and and a lot of things or or i think of uh who's the guy who wrote uh that song like american pie don mclean oh, i think um, i think don mclean right you know like there's right. yeah there's a lot of like references and things and like you know there's a lot of just things that these people touch upon that may have happened in like history and yes they may they they probably went to a school or they had uh, parents that allowed them to really learn the guitar but maybe some of that like incidental knowledge of what's going on in current events or what was going on in history may have like influenced their song lyrics and made them that much richer of an audience and ha and give them such a wider grasp and a, and a wider pull to people that they may not otherwise have if they just focused on like playing this one instrument as well as possible. Well, see, that comes from cultivating an individual, like individuality and cultivating a persona and, and, and core belief systems that are that vibe with you personally. You know, it starts with the self. There's no, it's, it's self-learning. Again, it's a form of self-learning, a form of self-education. And it's the ultimate sense of mindfulness because you're not only growing 
through yourself and through your own sense of knowledge or but you're you're observing the world and formulating ideas and opinions about it based on your own newly developed morals that are you know growing essentially so and also back to what you said in regards to you used to read psychology books and 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 things and now it's it's coming to light now with what you're doing sure. but it, it just it was a difference reference question because you said about the Nixon thing so it really depends on what you're made to learn you yes. know that will help apply later in life like see you already you when what you were learning was already it was purposeful because it was a form of self self help you're learning about I'm all for mindfulness psychology philosophy none of that is <laughs> that's not in school at all there's no philosophy class you know it's not like the ancient greeks where where there was like knowledge and wisdom was power like true power godly godlike power now it's just like it's literally the reason why another thing the reason why the budgets are being cut for the arts it's purposeful it's intentional because the arts create liberation of the self and create evolution they don't want evolution the higher powers people in charge they don't want that they want conformity obedience factory workers people that listen they don't want free thinkers because that's dangerous because that creates a, a, a more prosperous compassionate and decent society i want to touch upon what you just said about the history example about the greeks i actually do uh, i'm doing a series actually with a guy on the roman empire and let me just tell you we are seeing a lot of similarities between Rome and the United States right now. And, uh, you know, as, as a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old, Roman Empire, I don't care about that. That has nothing to do with my life, or I'm never going to need to know that. But I think that that interest was kind of embedded in me in a very young age. And now, all of a sudden, I'm like, hmm, what I see going on today kind of reminds me of this thing that happened during the Roman Empire. So again, like even with that Watergate example, or even with that example with the Roman Empire, it might, it may, it may not have fit into my palette, or it may not have fit into my plate at that specific time. But it's just funny that a decade and some years later, I'm kind of drawing upon something that I was forced to learn and seeing similarities. And if somebody had not pushed me to kind of learn that thing, I wouldn't be seeing these similarities today. Yeah, no, that I, I knew, speaking of the Roman Empire, I mean, yeah, history tends to repeat itself over and over if you if you look, but I mean, you don't even need to look at history just to be mindful to observe what goes on over and over in the short time that we're here, realistically, with everything that goes on and that passivity. I mean, there's so many different things that come into play in this country in particular, in the United States, but uh, I mean, the Roman Empire, speaking of, of which, if you just follow Christianity and, and the rise of organized religion, at, at being that this country is based one nation under God, uh, man in the sky, indivisible liberty and justice for all killing for someone, uh, an invisible person in the sky, which if someone else had these ideas, one person, an individual had some sort of eccentric ideas like this, they would be labeled like schizophrenic or delusional. But because of collective society, it's accepted that it's, it's normal to, to, to kill in the name of some God for for whatever self-righteous justifications it may be. But I'm saying back in Roman era, after the ancient Greece kind of just kind of expired and dissipated, but Christianity was implemented from Roman Empire from the Roman Empire, from uh, what Constantine taken from slaves because they had a shitty life and and they were like oh this is working for them it's keeping them alive and happy maybe we should take christianity then he implemented it and killed so many people 
and just spread Christianity throughout the kingdom. And then more, more and more wisdom was just gone. I know that was what I'm trying to say, uh, simply put, because then it became a form of control, fear, shame. The eradication of, of any sort of self-growth was, was put forth to an external, invisible power that you should fear, not something valuable like that sustains us like nature, something visible that, that nourishes us and gives us life, but some imaginary person in the sky that you should fear and that you should do no wrong to based on these principles in a book that were written by men that who supposedly spoke to this person. And yeah, that started in the Roman empire after the ancient Greeks went off and then, you know, they killed more and more people, spread it more and more Christian missionaries here, here, here. And then it's one of the most popular, you know, religions that and Catholicism. The, the point I'm trying to drive, I'm trying to drive home with this is that watching like the rise of certain figures in ancient Rome, we can, if we know some of the techniques and we know some of the things that they use or some of the way that they trick the masses, we can kind of start looking for these parallels in our own society. So that's kind of why I'm stressing a little bit about some of the like incidental knowledge that we're forced upon. Because if you completely dismiss the whole Roman empire and just said not applicable to me being a musician with my guitar, then you won't know to sniff in that corner and gain those insights and to see those parallels and to gain that wisdom. And again, like I said, I don't think that it, I agree with you in the sense that it shouldn't get to a point where you have to learn so much about the Roman empire that it takes away from your freedom to actually pursue what it is that you want to do. I think that is a grave injustice. And I a hundred percent agree with you that it's like knowledge should not come at the expense of something else. I think that that's a, a vast injustice, but I think a little, a little pushing to the left and right never hurt anybody. Just, just a tad. Yeah. But it, again, without uh, having sort of some sort of self-inquisitiveness to developing, you know, one's self, uh, you're not going to give a shit or apply any sort of history that you, you know, learn in the past or, or learn, you know, in the now to, in order to, in order to grow, in order to be these be brilliant musicians or, or brilliant observational people, artists, whatever it may be, it, it starts from wanting to grow on an individual level. You mm. understand what I mean? Yes. So, I mean, yeah. So it's cool to have that knowledge from, if you remember it from back in the day, from high school, from grade school, whatever it may be. But um, it's in a sense, it's irrelevant until the time is ready. And, and for you to want to actually grow, to develop a personality, to, to cultivate a character. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Opinion. If you, if you're, let's say we had gone back to your high school and let's say you had gone to that same good slash bad high school. And this time around, they did have the rich music. They did have the rich performing arts curriculum. And that's something that you could have looked forward to every single day at the end of school. You're like, yes, I get to have my two hours acting. I get to have my two hours doing what I love. Do you think that it would have made the general knowledge a little bit more bearable? Just, just having that carrot at the end of the day. And then that kind of, you would have been able to see the fusion of like, okay, because I'm developing myself as an actor, it's okay to read about Shakespeare because who knows, as an actor, I might be dragged into a Shakespearean play. It's kind of good that I have this background of Shakespeare. I mean, I would have excelled in the sense that I would have had something to look forward to, a sort of class that had some sort of purpose, fun, 
you know, whether I thought knew it was a purpose or not back then, but it, was, it would be fun, productively fun and a form of creativity, which we all need, whether we know it or not. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't, Shakespeare, like I read Shakespeare now, I, I try and it's just not for me. Like if I got casted and was being paid, then I would put my heart and soul into it to, to procure a living in, in what I love to do. Doesn't mean I'd be the best, I'd give it my best shot, but it, am I gonna go and learn Shakespeare? I, I, I do have a respect in the sense that, and, and his history of him as a human being, more so history of, of people, of their uh, backstory interests me more so than their work sometimes of how they got to how they got their name what their beliefs were you know how they cult cultivated their own identity more so than their their body of work so to speak it's oh yeah I, absolutely you know? and you know just on an aside shakespeare is definitely not my favorite author of all time either but if I, if I imagine myself as a very, very like struggling actor, right? And I, let's say I'm really struggling. I got to put food on the table and I go on Craigslist or wherever and I only see like a Shakespeare play. I think in that moment, just having a little background about Shakespeare, having read a few of his plays in high school, may, maybe done, maybe did like a small little play on Shakespeare in high school, that could actually help me. So I, I I'm, and, and that, and then like I, put that on my resume that, okay, I did this little Shakespeare play. I didn't really, it wasn't really my thing, but that allows me to now leapfrog to the next uh, movie or the next production or show that I really, really want to be in and that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, it, it can and it can't in the sense that if you weren't, when you were Shakespeare doing or learning about it and you didn't give a shit about it and you just remember it, like it, it's, as an actor, it's a whole it's a totally different muscle. You have to reinvent yourself over and over, especially for roles. So you could have played the role once in the past, which would help. But if, if you're doing what you need to do as an artist and growing, then it's going to be a totally different you know, ball game than, than prior, if you understand what I mean. Anything could help. The resumes always help. And, and that kind of falls into, I don't want to say law of attraction, but just the universal flow of things. Like just, wow, well, this is how this happened and this is how that happened. And, you know, you, you attract what you put out and vice versa. How about, how, about, how about this idea, Michael? I'm wondering how you feel about this. What if we're super duper honest with ourselves and we say, I, I don't like this. Like, for example, I'm not really a math person. I, and I, I, I tell people all that all the time. But when I'm forced to do math in my life, I still kind of have a very like optimistic and like agreeable nature to it. I know that it's not for me and it's not something that I want to do eight hours a day, but I do realize it as a valuable tool, as a valuable asset to have. And, and sometimes like, uh, you know, when I'm looking at data sets, having some mathematical prowess or, or ability, it does help. It makes my like research paper just be a little bit more on point and I can actually back up what I'm saying with some empirical truth. So Again, I think we can be super honest with ourselves and say, this facet of knowledge is not my facet of knowledge. I'm more of a philosopher than I am a mathematician. But I think that those moments in life where I'm pressed against discomfort grow me as a person in a way, like forcing myself to have to use a little bit math, a little math here and there makes me kind of stronger because I have to grapple a little bit with my weaknesses. It would be a nightmare if I had to do that 10 hours a day and that was my only sense of identity. But I think a little grappling with discomfort makes us a little stronger. 
Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes to trying things that we're not familiar with or that we think we don't like. I'm all for trying things. Uh, trying things is essential to, to weed out what you desire to do. And yeah, math, math <laughs> in itself. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for me either. But again, like you don't if you don't have this sense of awareness, let's say like when you're doing a task that you don't care for, if it's not if, or if it's not productive to to your own means if you have means yet then it, it, you, you don't have the awareness like for instance i can i can have i can be doing something irrelevant to creative like uh, washing dishes for instance and i uh, and i can just be not in the present moment waste thinking i'm wasting time washing dishes wasting my life away doing this or that doing mundane tasks of the day uh, paying bills online but then and it's, you can pull from or spending time with, let's say you have a, a girlfriend and you hate her parents and you have to go spend time with them and you're trying to look for some sort of positive or not so much positive, but grounding means of gratification that promote gratitude and, 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 and adversity towards being around bad people uh, and you're doing it for someone you love. Anyway, what I'm saying is if you don't have the mindfulness or awareness to know that you're while you're learning these things or, or to develop this sort of gratitude or appreciation, of what you're doing or yeah. that you might be able to use it later in life then it's just going to be irrelevant to you and if you remember it later when you do obtain some sort of self-knowledge and, and and endless wisdom that you you desire to cultivate then it's going to be you know still useless in that regard if that makes any sense yeah i i hear you and i, I think with like the case with math you know i remember learning about linear regressions when i was i think in ninth or tenth grade and that was utterly pointless i'm like what the hell is the point of a linear regression and then I've used that so many times to, you know, create models to like predict because like linear regression is kind of like a lot of data scientists use that to predict possible outcomes in the future. And because I had that experience of holy crap, that like random thing that I learned on some TI-84, like old calculator with four uh, AAA batteries, because I've had these moments in life where random things have kind of just come back and helped me do like accomplish the things that I want to do. I'm not saying that I'm going to lie to myself and just completely immerse myself in worlds that are irrelevant to me, but I have that permanent sense of, of gratitude of like, okay, I'm better off knowing this than not knowing it. And I'm wondering if that's perhaps a more healthier way of just uh, of viewing the world. I'm not going to, I'm not going to betray my soul. I'm not going to betray who it is that I am. But every time I have the opportunity to learn something new, I'm going to be grateful for it. Yeah, I mean, not everyone has that gifted sense of being like you did. You might have unconsciously knew that you were going to be applying this knowledge and fought against your ego and just learned it despite, you know, early on before you even had this, you know, awareness of what you wanted to do or what you wanted to be. <laughs> um, I wish, I wish, I wish at 15, I was that enlightened, my friend. You don't know uh, that um, you're unconscious. We, the collective unconscious from our primitive ways of being to to just our, our current ways of living now everything that's in us and your higher pet kind of demonic force you don't you don't know we, we just don't know same with my performing ability of me wanting to make people laugh these little seeds that were planted that we just you know didn't yet water yeah we, sure. we simply just don't know even even i remember one time i i was like i i used to see a lot of comedy with my friends in like the west village and in, in the city like you know there's all these like bars and stuff 
And occasionally there was like a, a comedian that would just like throw in a history or joke. And that really got me like nobody was laughing at all in, in, in this like, like cruddy, like dark basement. But it, that random joke just hit that random person. And, and like, I, I feel that sometimes like the universe has these like random ways of bringing things together. And they, and they, they always in the moment seem completely unrelated. Like I'm thinking of, you know, like one of the classic themes in a television show is that you've got your A plot and then you have your B plot. But then the writers kind of intersect the A and the B plot and they just come together in some way like, oh, yeah, that guy who was robbing the bank, he ended up being the guy in the end who saves this. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely this sort of synchronic power in the universe that it's and I, again, I feel that is part of our own sort of intuitiveness and, and higher sense of self where we have this hypersensitivity towards what we desire most and what we fear most in order to. To, to go on and go against it fate like head on and 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 face it and and not just to not to so much overcome your fears but just make peace with your fears by taking productive action again like what deters people most from self-education self-knowledge from pursuing something they're interested in pursuing some sort of mastery some sort of ever-evolving mastery is is the lack of patience mm. uh, they, mm. they, they desire immediate gratification for for what they do or they're doing it for some someone or something or a group of people outside themselves for appearance for social validation and they they which means it's not true to them to themselves and they just give up or they don't have the innate talent that someone else has and they don't want to put in the hours it's a, it's another form of laziness and it is a lack of desired mastery so you don't really deserve to become an ever-evolving master of the task it's not truly your own nature so you have to then again, discover something else. You have to fight your ego and put the hours in and sit and do it. Because there's not time. There's times where I don't feel like in writing, and like screenplay after screenplay or book after book. But I, it, there's times when you just have to do it. It takes structure and routine. Self knowledge takes structure and routine. That's something I, I had, I, I had meaning to say. It's essential. Structure and routine. You need structure to become structureless and to to promote some sort of innate action to your sense of true core beliefs and true core uh, motives and drives you know like you you need to give yourself really good oil to to lubricate your engine and, and have it run the most productive that it can i want to speak to your strengths a little bit because um you know i, I gave you a, like a little bit of a hard time in the beginning but now what i think you're touching upon is really really some some golden nuggets here because we have people that, and I agree with you, we have people that follow a prescribed path of, let's say, let, let's just say for the sake of argument, I am following the prescribed path of being an accountant or something. And I'm just going, I'm studying, I'm learning it, I'm learning it. I think as an audio didact though, that gives you the free will to question, wait a minute, is this actually what I want to be studying? And I think that's a valuable strength that you're bringing up. Yeah, because for the most part, society, conventional society either goes with what their parents want them to be, a doctor, lawyer, this or that, or what society not so much asks of them, but what they think that is, is good in society as far as societal comfort, money, um, stability, job this comes into play with relationships too. relationships losing yourself to someone else can be the greatest form of of procrastination and just self-devaluation because a, a real relationship 
um, a real partnership would be promoting of the individual on both sides and helping one another develop themselves to their both to their to their ideal and beyond it mm, you know mm. not getting lost in the mesh of uh that fairy tale romanticism that we're we're conditioned to believe through all these stories that we hear so the the audio didact has to really thoroughly know themselves well and they have to question everything that they're doing and sort of asking it's almost like a daily mantra or, or question that you have to ask yourself like should i be learning this should i be doing this should i be doing this and it's just it's just a never-ending question that you ask yourself and i think that's really 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 critical and i think it touches upon what socrates says know thyself i think i think that if you are asking yourself what you are learning every single day and let's let's just move beyond primary school now you're 25 26 you don't really need to sit down and and you know no one's telling you to learn that trigonometry you have that freedom to kind of know thyself and learn what it exa what exactly it is that you want to build yourself in you know, the problem with that is when people graduate college, there's this propensity towards laziness because there's no one to tell them what to do. That's there's true. People, yes. people want freedom, but they fear it. They death. They, they fear the death of they fear freedom. Ultimately, they, they want freedom. And then when they have it, it, it scares them to death. They don't know how to take it. The same with people in this country. It's the same form of pacifications of Republican Party, Democratic Party, all of that thing. Uh, it's a, it's another stifling collective union which is another thing that i that's why i promote individuality so much because there's so much there's so many collective groups whether it be with positive or negative connotations um all different movements that are so distractive whether they have purposeful bones or not but they're so limiting to to the growth of the individual and because they get lost in this cesspool of of conformity and self-righteousness and it just stifles their own interests and growth and they, because they feel safe in this sort of web of, 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 of like similar minds. But the, at the same time, they're not developing their own and they're just lost, you know, whether it be positive or negative. And hopefully they do end up finding themselves. But in most cases, that's not the case. They just become, you know, the opposing mirror, really. Now, I want to ask you this. I love I actually just love what you just said about people fear freedom. And this is actually something that I 110% agree with. Like everybody is looking for the next master. They're looking for the next corporate job or whatever. They, they want security, right? So there's this like need to, to be secure and to be protected as opposed to embracing freedom. So I'm wondering that maybe to become a true audiodidact, you need to stop being afraid of freedom. Do you think that that's an essential quality to, to self-learn is that you, you say to yourself, I'm going to read this random book right now because I want to. And I think that that takes a certain comfort with freedom. Yeah. Well, freedom is not, uh, freedom is not constitutional. It's not governed. It's, 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 it's a state of being by the individual, you know, first and foremost. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're, 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 we're constricted to these sort of to, to government, to, to centralized government, to supposedly saying that we have freedoms and uh, that we have free thought and free speech and free this and free that. But really, we have, our freedoms are are within our own sense of morals and our own, I guess, indignation, if that's the right word. 
like um, thinking of this on the most basic level, <clears throat> like most people will not just read a random book because they're interested in it. It's like unless they're they're being unless it's on a syllabus, unless it's a textbook, unless it's something that some friend like really shoved upon them, like a lot of people will not embark upon a quest of knowledge and self-discovery and self-growth unless there is some governing apparatus that's telling them, hey, you ought to read that book or, hey, um, you know, if you want to stay here at this job, you're going to learn Python or, or C++. So a lot of people do not embark upon the quest for knowledge and for, for, for learning things unless there is a carrot that's directly presented in front of them or there's literally someone standing over their shoulders and telling them they ought to learn this. Yeah, and that's conditioned in us from, uh, you know, from an early age, from compulsory. That's why the, there's such a, a problem with, with public schooling, private schooling, because it's, it's implemented very early on. Uh, and then there's so many distractions now outside of it with technology and these immediate forms of gratification and easy, easy ways out. Uh, not only that, just society makes a prison in itself because people work five, six days, seven days a week. By the time they get out, you think you really want to pick up a book or learn something? It's 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 a, literally a prison um, because like who wants to? It's very rare that people will, even if you have some sort of hobby, it's difficult to pursue it when you're working and trying just to survive in society and make money and support your family or, or whatever maybe or just support yourself. The system, whether by accident or by design, it basically exhausts us, right? It, like it leaves us in such an exhaustive state that picking up that book is just, uh, you know, such a Herculean task that the vast majority of us are just not willing to do that. I'm wondering about you, Michael, what do you think, what, what qualities about you yourself made you separate from the herd? So I'm wondering, like, because you went to that same public school and some of your friends probably just stayed with the herd. What made you so special that you decided I'm going to break free of the herd? Like, I'm wondering what, what, what about you specifically made you do that? Um, well, before I answer that question, I just want to try and concisely state that to, to find, to, for people to desire to cultivate self-knowledge, it's usually through suffering or immense bouts of suffering, you know, Agreed, aside yeah. from, yeah, which is good and bad because a lot of people just end up being the forever victim and wanting to be stuck in their per perpetual purgatory and having people feel bad for them or making other people victimizing other people. Um, and it's all these four, there's so many different forms of procrastination and then addiction comes into play, so to speak, which is really just a bad habit over and over again. Then it's propagandized by the pharmaceutical companies. And then what I'm saying is we have so many, bad enough we have to fight our own ego and overcome our own ego. We have all these other little egos throughout the world a prison of egos in society that make it even more difficult to cultivate ourself and to, to rise and overcome and become our higher self and to leave the herd behind and, and truly and truly just cultivate our own individuality and to, the, to lead to more prosperous and, and, and wholesome, compassionate sense of natural evolution in the world. And uh, definitely a much more interesting one if people were just naturally weird and true to themselves and eccentric it would definitely be a much more productive and, and interesting interesting world but yeah there's so many different things that just stifle that and and, it, and that's unfortunate and, it, and that's why self-knowledge is rather difficult and structure 
isn't implemented because people are just lazy and they don't, you know, they don't want to do it. There, there's too many uh, gadgets to play with, too much shitty food to eat and, you know, to stimulate their brain with mm. sugar. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for holistic living. I feel, you know, the bodies we have are, are very special and, and we should take care of them. And I feel everything coincides with one another, with my creativity, you know, respecting my body and what I, what I eat, how, I, how active I am, how, ex, how I exercise. And I mean, this again, goes all back to the ancient Greeks and, and their, you know, their devout quest towards wisdom in itself. But um, yeah, I just wanted to say that real quick. So thinking, thinking about yourself, like I remember you had told me that you were, uh, working at a deli at some point, and then you were struck with the acting bug or, or you saw yourself. So I'm wondering, do you think that when you, because I'm sure when you were working in deli, you were probably being distracted. Maybe you were going to happy hours or doing whatever, right? You were li- living like the quote unquote sedated lifestyle. And then yeah. maybe when you came to the full realization that I must be an actor, then all of the audio didactic tendencies and behavior started to kick in because that was your ultimate goal. So maybe formulating an arc, an archetype of a goal that you want to achieve is what then led all of the other little mini steps of like, okay, I'm going to, you know, uh, get this book, you know, train with this uh, guy in acting. So does that make sense? Uh, yeah. And you asked what separated me uh, in a sense from the herd. But I would say I've always been a very strong-minded person in the sense that I never, I never did what I didn't want to do. I was never a party or I never drank. I, I, and when my friends started doing that, I kind of felt lost because, you know, we grew up like skateboarding and everything, being very active and being outside and having fun and messing around. Then everyone just wanted to go to parties and 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 I and I saw like the the escape and the the desire to want to fit in and it nauseated me. I was like, why do you want to do this and fit in? Well, experimentation's one thing, but people just didn't want to be who they were. And I saw right through that. And it, and that's why I always hung out with older people and with my family, with my parents and with their friends, because as far as what differentiated me is I always stayed true to myself. I, I was always strong-minded and I always got people to do <laughs> whatever I wanted to do. So I guess I was a sort of a director back then because for some reason they would just listen, whether it be like my friends mowing the lawn or changing the oil on my dirt bike, just stupid shit. And like, why are they doing this? Mm. My parents would be like, why? you should be mowing the lawn. I was like, why they're doing it. Like, and they thought it was rather profound because I got people to do things that I didn't have to do a little dictator, dictator life. But uh, anyway, I was just, I've always been strong-minded. I've had that sort of, um, I, I've been, you know, I, that's one of the innate sort of personality traits that I was, sort of, I guess, gifted with or more aware of. I guess having a high level of, I don't know how I would characterize this personality quality, but high levels of, social resistance not because it's interesting that you mentioned that you didn't like the school that you went to and you kind of had a disdain for the authority of figures that ran it but it's interesting that you also had a disdain for the authority figures in that of your peers so i'm sure that there were some of those friends that were like come on michael just grab a drink all with us time. yeah all pressure the- all the time smoke this smoke that that try this I, and I, they, they loved that I never gave, they, it, it intrigued them very much that I never gave in. They didn't understand why. I think it was a form of admiration that they just couldn't yet, they couldn't cultivate in their own degree. You know, like the, it was a projection, a positive projection towards me of what they admired about me because they did admire it. They still, you know, do reflecting back on it. But um, 
and it wasn't just to like be different. I just had no desire. You know, I, I genuinely, I still, I just don't have a desire to do so. So maybe like, a, um, so you have this healthy social aversion. And I think when you have social aversion, then that's going to lead you to kind of maybe take the steps. Like you have that confidence of like, well, I have the confidence to net, net like to spend all of my early twenties, not attending these like stupid parties and drinking and doing things that I don't believe in. And then maybe that is what gave you the courage or maybe the fact that you had resistant skills to other people, that's what kind of gave you the skills to be like, screw it. I don't care what anyone at this deli is telling me. I'm going to learn to be an actor. Yes. I, I you know, I mean, that could, could come into play as well, but yeah. And also I saw the discomfort in, uh, in the other, in my peers, I saw the, them going against their own sort of, I saw the mask, you know, it was blatant. Mm. And I, I wonder why, like, why do this to yourself if you don't want to, if you don't really want to do it, then why do it? And it was just for people to fit in. You know, I saw that mask and I never wore the mask. Um, that's that's interesting. I, I think, I, I, I think Michael, um, that's a great way, a great place to like leave our conversation. And thank you so much for being on the show today. This concludes the 42nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.